Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby Out of My Mind. This is podcast 25, podcast 025, where we have a biblical conversation about the crazy world in which we live. So join us over the next 20 minutes or so as we provide you a bird's eye view perspective over a complex issue confronting our culture, the church, and you by applying God's word to make sense of it all. And at the end of the podcast, we'll point you to additional resources for further study, just in case you'd like to dig up. In the meantime, before we get started, I'd like to talk about our friend Vody Bauckham. Vody Bauckham is a friend of Hillside Church. He is a friend of the Out of My Mind podcast. We were due to interview him uh, for our interview Friday at the end of February, but he has taken gravely ill. He is in a life-threatening condition. He is being fr- flown from Lusaka, Zambia to Dallas, Texas. Uh, he, he has heart failure. They don't know why. Uh, it's a grave situation. It's a 36-hour flight. He can't fly nonstop, and we just want to be praying for him. On our resource page, we'll have some update information about his condition. We invite you to go there. We'll also have a link to a GoFundMe account, uh, Estimates for his treatment are $1,250,000, and he needs our help. So be in prayer for Vody Bach and be in prayer for his family in this very, very difficult time. Now we turn our attention back to our regular podcast. Uh, we've spent the last few weeks talking about transgendered behavior, kicking off a series on sexuality and identity, and the discussion of se- our sexuality being sacred. Today we turn a bit of a corner in our discussion, and we take up the discussion of homosexuality and our identity. Yeah, maybe before we uh, turn that corner, Keith, uh, if you can kind of sum up some of the transgender stuff that we've kind of gone through, maybe talk about anything that you'd like to add there, and maybe even how this really launches from transgender, how we launch into homosexuality. Well, Mark, transgender behavior and homosexuality have some similarities and some very significant differences. As you know, we've been talking about the transgender issue for a number of podcasts now, and I think we've said almost all we can say in this format. We have a short-form format where we give you this 20-minute overview and we point you to additional resources. I guess the main concern I have today as I offer up closing thoughts on the transgender issue, is the way that the medical and psychological professions have uh, sort of bailed out on their responsibilities. You know, we talked about last time how the school system says if somebody shows up one day and decides they're the other sex, the other gender, then that's what they are. And, you know, this has incredible long-term ramifications in terms of uh, hormonal treatments and surgeries and things like that. The medical profession has used the American uh, Psychological Association, the APA's DSM-IV and DSM-V, the latest text revision of the uh, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for treating uh, disorders and so-called mental illnesses and emotional challenges. But what they've done now pretty much is abandoned all objective criteria And if an eight-year-old, for example, decides that he's a girl, or if an eight-year-old decides that she's a boy, rather than try to determine if this is a passing phase or or try to look at the whole person and the whole situation, they just accept the self-diagnosis uncritically, and they may prescribe a series of treatments and therapies that forever alter the emotional makeup or the physical makeup of this child. 
They may authorize puberty blockers or hormonal therapies, or at some point in the future, even top surgery. If it's a girl who goes through puberty, they may allow her to have her breast removed in a mastectomy. And these are things that no responsible medical or psychological professional should do. But this is the way our culture is going. So I'm, I guess my parting concern would be to ask for your prayers, because this is a huge cultural battle, and our children are being indoctrinated by the educational establishment, the media, and even now at the corporate level. And we need to be vigilant. We need to be careful. We need to be wise. We need to be organized. We need to push back respectfully, humbly, but emphatically because no one should allow anyone to self-diagnose themselves, particularly a child. Imagine me going to the doctor and telling him to amputate my right arm because I feel like I don't need it anymore. That is a subjective feeling. It could be a sign of a larger problem, and it should not be uncritically accepted as fact. Imagine me going to a doctor and asking him to prescribe me some really powerful, life-changing medication and him not stopping to take the time to really get underneath what my self-diagnosis is, or even to evaluate it, but just to, to accede to my demands for treatment on my terms. This is just the opposite of the, what the medical profession and the psychological professions should be doing. They are to do no harm, and in many cases, they are doing great harm. Okay, Mark, so sexuality is sacred. God has made us who we are, and our concern is to appreciate those gifts as Christians, not to misuse or abuse them. And so I really would like to turn the attention now to another challenge about sexuality, and that is homosexuality. Okay, so homosexuality, I think, is a topic we hear a lot about. I would even say that homosexuality is really the door that's opened um, the discussion into transgenderism uh, in our culture today. Um, but it does seem sometimes that homosexuality is a little bit blown out of proportion. You hear about homosexuality all over the place, and we know that as Christians, homosexuality is a sin, but we also don't hear a lot of Christians talking about, you know, selfishness or idolatry or gluttony or any of those other uh, common sins much in the same way that they do with homosexuality. And do you think that's because it's become maybe even more of a political issue as well nowadays? You know, Mark, that's a great question. Just a couple of things, though. Sometimes people ask us questions like that and say, well, you know, Christians don't talk much about selfishness or greed or idolatry or, or gluttony, uh, and yet they focus on homosexuality. Well, let's just think about that presupposition for a moment. Do Christians minimize idolatry? Do you not ever hear sermons about selfishness or selflessness? And I think what happens is people make these kinds of statements. I don't know what kind of churches they go to, but it's a given today, for example, that obesity or gluttony, even in the secular culture, is a bad thing. It's bad for you. These, these things are givens, but one of the big things the culture wrestles with today is accepting homosexuality as a quote-unquote normal behavior as a normal sexual orientation. And the church is having to push back on that. And so it does become a political issue because, uh, let's get back to some of the Greek terms, polis speaks to a community of people gathered together for a common cause. Uh, polity is the government. Policy are decisions they make based on their worldview. And so political matters have to do with people who make up the polis, their worldview, 
their policy, and their politics, how these policies are carried out. And today, homosexuality, transgender, these kinds of things are on the forefront of the societal and cultural discussion, and they're big deals because the Bible says they're sin. It's not that we're transphobic or homophobic. We're not afraid of transgendered people. We don't hate homosexuals, but the behavior for a Christian is unacceptable. It's an offense before God. And so when K through 12th grade and the university, uh, the academy, uh, the, the media tries to indoctrinate us and our children and marginalize us, we do tend to resist that and push back. And one of the means that we push back through is voting our conscience or expressing our, our, our opinions, and these opinions are being marginalized. But I think it's a given that selfishness is bad, that stealing is bad, that lying is bad, that gluttony is bad. But I'm not so sure it's a given in many so-called progressive churches or in uh, the society, the culture, that homosexuality is bad. So I think one of the other differences that I've kind of seen uh, developing in culture and those things is, is there a difference um, between homosexuality, as we were just talking about, um, and then same-sex attraction? I think the culture talks a lot about same-sex relationships, same-sex attraction, and really almost avoids the term homosexuality. It seems kind of like the same term, but it seems like culture is really steering us away from that term homosexuality towards this term same-sex attraction. Well, what you see here, and this is part of the whole postmodern mindset where there's no such thing as objective truth. Everything is subjective, feelings-based, opinion-based, and we eschew or resist the idea as a culture of hard and fast truth. And so what's happening is we're redefining terms, we're coming up with new terms, we're changing the conversation as a culture in order to make it seem more acceptable. And so now no one talks about homosexual behavior, but same-sex attraction. And so what we're gradually doing is creating as a culture, as a society, I'm talking about the secular world, artificial distinctions. Uh, we try to complicate things. We try to cloud the issue rather than clarify. Okay. Uh, maybe, I guess, I'm expanding on that a little bit, but uh, can you experience same-sex attraction without it being sinful or outside of God's will? That's a complicated question, and I'm glad you asked it. Now, the Sermon on the Mount gives us some insight into that, where he talks, Jesus talks about that if you hate somebody in your heart, you've committed murder already. If you look at a woman with, to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart already. And in so doing, he quotes two of the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery. Out of our minds come our actions. And, and so sometimes same-sex attraction or same-sex thoughts are translated in same-sex action. And that's always a sin. Other times there may be individuals, they may have been molested as children, there may be a number of circumstances that brought this about, but they may feel attracted, sense attraction to the same sex and as a believer who knows better, uh, you have to resist those sinful thoughts. The problem is, is that often uh, we let those thoughts linger. And when we do that, that's when we cross the line. Like Jesus said, you know, you might see uh, someone who's attractive to you. You might be a married person. You see somebody of the opposite sex who's attracted. And you just catch yourself and turn away from that thought process. Or you may like do what is described in James uh, uh, where it says, uh, 
each person is tempted and carried away by his own lust. There's this progression where you turn it over in your mind, you dwell on it, and that's sinful. You know, it's it's like David looking at Bathsheba when you know he's on the roof and he looks out and a woman's bathing naked. And instead of just turning away, he turns and kind of looks at her and asks who she is and inquires after her. And those, those lusts bring forth sin, which leads to death. And so you can struggle with same-sex attraction without being sinful, but when you let it play out in your mind, that thought process is sinful. And so uh, it's not merely uh, saying, oh, well, I think about it a lot, I dwell on it a lot, I fantasize a lot, but I really don't act on it. Okay, so maybe going a little bit further now, um, what do you say to um, somebody who's a Christian um, and they have a friend uh, who is, as far as they know, a very godly person, they call themselves a Christian, but they also say that they're gay or lesbian, um, and, and their contention is really, well, I've been this way since birth, I've always noticed that I've had this same-sex attraction, I've always noticed that I've you know, if I'm a boy, I've always just noticed that I've liked boys and I've often prayed that God would just take it away from me and I could be normal like everybody else, but I just can't do it. What do you say to somebody like that? Well, first of all, that question is loaded with a ton of presuppositions. You know, uh, the, the Pharisees asked Jesus about marriage and Jesus got into a discussion of male and female and he says, have you not read from the beginning God made them male and female? For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's in uh, Matthew 19, uh, 4 through 6. And so God created us male and female. That's our identity. And he created two sexes because as you go, if you go back to Genesis, he saw that it was not good for a man to be alone. He had to make a help me similar to him that would complement. And so the idea that this is who you are, your identity is in Christ. It says in Galatians 3, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor free nor slave, but we are all one in Christ. By the salvation that we receive, we are who we are. And adding these labels, well, I'm transgender and I'm homosexual, is uh, contra-biblical. And so it's how your mind, as a man thinks within himself, so he is. As a woman thinks within herself, so she is. And so you have to guard your thoughts. You do not follow your feelings, you follow facts. You cling to what is true. What does the Bible say? Who am I? How then shall I live? And so you you have to be careful. Because, you know, we talked about this a moment ago, uh, how you think. You know, it's the, the sin arises from the heart. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 18 through 20, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Watch this in verse 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, which would include homosexuality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. And so we have to be very careful. We have to be so careful. We have to think rightly. We have to focus our minds on the right thing. And and whatever your experience says, remember this. You were born dead in your sins and trespasses, and God made you alive in Christ. And so as a Christian, as a born-again believer, as a child of God in 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17, really you want to look at verses 14 to 20. We are new creations. Let me just read this to you, Mark. It says, for the love of Christ controls us, not our lust, not our desires, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. We've died with Christ. He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves or the lust of their hearts or their minds, but for him, this is an act of worship, who for their sake died and was raised. 
Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We don't regard them as a homosexual. We don't regard them as a transgendered person. We don't regard them as an alcoholic. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. To some, he looked like a man. To those who didn't know him, who hadn't embraced him, he looked like anybody else. But that's no longer the case for the Christian. Verse 17, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all has become new. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. We're no longer what we were. We are now Christians, born-again children of God. As it says in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, we have a new heart. A heart of flesh or a heart of stone has been taken away, and we live for God. His Spirit is within us. Okay, so I think another argument that we get uh, often is that uh, there's neurological or genetic um, and other scientific studies that show that people can't help their sexual identity uh, as a homosexual specifically. Um, basically, the contention is that you know there's a a gay gene essentially that just makes people gay. Uh, yeah, let me just stop right there. So I I, I read a lot. I mean, I've studied this out. Oh, I've studied this out for over two or three decades. Okay, and uh, really. There is no gay gene. They look for one. They'd love to find one, but they can't. And when you read all the empirical studies, scholarly papers, even as a layperson, when you read the abstracts, they can never state that there is a neurological, genetic, or biological reason for somebody being gay or being transgendered or being whatever. And what happens is this really takes us back to Romans 1.18 to 23, which talks about fallen human nature that suppresses the truth and unrighteousness, that knows that God is, that God is there, but refuses to acknowledge God and comes up with all kinds of theories and fables. It says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, animals, and creeping things. That's Romans 1, 18 to 23, and it tells us that people would rather concoct stories about God, about reality that contradict God and reality, to suit themselves. They suppress the truth. And so let's think what we have going on here. Choices to ignore God. To say, like Satan said in the Garden of Eden, did God really say homosexuality was wrong? Well, he has from Genesis to Revelation. And you see that from Old Testament to New Testament. Uh, you see that even in the book of, I just read from the book of Romans, but what does it say in Romans 1, to 32, right after what I just read? It says, for women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. It goes on to say that this kind of behavior, this suppression of what is true, sexual identity or in any other kind of way, is worthy of death. Now, that's not a call to violence. It's a demonstration of a need to gr uh, for grace. People need grace because the wages of sin is death. The Bible clearly says that homosexuality is a sin. If you look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 12, there is the stipulation that homosexuality is a sin and that sin kills, but there's also the hope and the promise of forgiveness. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 12 says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, 
nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, saved in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. And so there's the hope. That's not who you are. It might be who you were. But as a Christian, you cannot continue in that mindset. Okay, so kind of like now turning the corner a little bit um, after that hope, how do we uh, serve or encourage a brother or sister in Christ who struggles with the quote-unquote natural same-sex attraction? Well, a couple of things, you know. Number one, our feelings can deceive us. And so we need to understand that there is hope in God, that God uh, is there if we repent from our sin and turn to Christ— we can find forgiveness, hope, and healing. We are not to run from God. You know, some people say, well, Christians hate and marginalize, and, and society marginalizes uh, gay people. Well, society doesn't because it promotes homosexuality as an alternative lifestyle, as a, almost as a separate gender in the LGBTQ++ continuum. And those people are told that God hates them. No, God loves them. He sent his one and only son to die for them. And they can find acceptance, wholeness, and healing in their true identity by embracing Christ, by not buying into the lie. They can admit that they're a sinner just like everybody else. You saw that list of immoral behaviors, idolaters, sexually immoral, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, swindlers, whatever. We're all sinners, sinners saved by grace. So don't buy the lie. Admit you're a sinner. Believe that Christ can change you from the inside out, that he died for your sin and he rose from the dead to demonstrate his power over the powers of this world. And he stands ready, willing, and able to embrace you and to forgive you and to change you from the inside out. And so you can find healing and restoration and hope in that. All right. So uh, probably final question here. Um, Does sexual orientation matter uh, in terms of serving the Lord? Uh, If the individual cannot uh, overcome it and just says, okay, you know what? I'm just going to be celibate um, and I'm just going to be obedient to the Lord. Um, does it really matter? Does it affect the person's ability to serve the Lord? We can all serve God in the way that he's equipped us. If we are struggling with a particular sin issue, uh, then we need to avoid areas of the church that might trip us up or cause us to stumble or other people to stumble. Uh, there's a, a pastor in England, Sam Albury. He's a uh, He says he's a celibate gay male. He has never acted on his homosexuality. Um, I have friends who have come to Christ, uh, and they are born again, but they have no uh, heterosexual attraction. Uh, uh, This friend of mine in particular, he says, God wants me to be holy, and so I live a life of celibacy. But he serves in the church. He doesn't put himself in harm's way. He uses wisdom, and he understands that his identity is in Christ, not his past. That's where it gets back to in 1 Corinthians, uh, I think, 6, uh, 12. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were set apart, you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. And so there is hope. There is a place for everyone within the church of Jesus Christ to use the gifts that God has given them, to use their past to help others who might be struggling like them with wisdom, discernment, and care. All right. Well, I think that's probably a great place to stop. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to give us? You know, uh, we're going to put some some information on our resource page, but uh, there is a place for you in the church of Jesus Christ. There is hope for you. There is healing for you. Uh, life may be a struggle, but just like we talked about with addiction, difficult doesn't mean impossible. God created you, either male or female, 
for a purpose. And that purpose does not include practicing homosexuality or succumbing to the transgender mindset. You are, your sexuality is a gift from God. Sexuality is sacred. And I just want to remind you of that. You're right. That is it for today. If you want resources, and we are providing resources, go to gracetoliveradio.org, www.gracetoliveradio.org, and click the podcast resource button. If you'd like to ask me a question, send me an email at keith at hillside.org. You can learn more about Hillside Church at www.hillside.org. And before we go, if you're listening on any of the podcast platforms, please rate us, give us a favorable rating, tell people about us so that we can reach a wider audience with the gospel of Christ. We post this podcast on Wednesday, so we hope you'll join us next time. This is Keith Crosby with Mark Stickler. Out of my mind, God bless you and God keep you.